always thought the pro-life movement was a bunch of intolerant sign holders? We're about to blow your mind. Welcome to the Unheard Podcast, where we're introducing you to the Voices for the Voiceless community of creatives. I'm Jesse Friedman, your host. At Voices for the Voiceless, we're in the business of creating culture that is so beautiful that it can truly jumpstart a movement. And naturally, we find ourselves asking the question, what does a piece of world-changing artistry look like? Today, we get to visit with Grace, who answers that question and tells us her personal story of how abortion has affected her. Welcome to episode six of the Unheard Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, and today my guest is Grace E., a spoken word artist who is actually in the Phoenix area for our Unsung event that we had last night at First Fridays. Uh, she performed a few spoken word pieces that were really compelling. And I'd like to start, I'd like to start our conversation there. Uh, how and maybe even why did you start in spoken word in that arena specifically? Um, I feel like I've always had a poetic brain. Um, I didn't know it as an outlet, but um, the opportunity actually presented itself to me. <laughs> so um, I was feeling in a spot in a... Um, performing arts group that uh, just needed to be filled and I wrote a piece and showed it to the director and that's pretty much how my career started (laughs) because the piece was put into the show so yeah what aspects of a spoken word piece do you think make it compelling um I think when you can speak out of less defense um and just as if what you're saying is truth, I think that's incredibly compelling, along with um, just being personal. Hmm. I think um, kind of just burning bridges between, uh, you know, me and the next human being, uh, we struggle with mostly all of the same things um, in different ways, maybe. Um, And so when it's just a level playing field and... and, um, you know, speaking truth, I think that that's that can be compelling. So is it about kind of um, making yourself relatable to your audience, do you think? Right, right. So when someone is listening to one of your spoken word pieces, what types of emotions do you want them to feel while they're, while they're in the audience, while they're watching you? What do you want them to feel? Um, I want people to be curious enough to... Um, if not look into certain things that I'm talking about, at least thinking about it. Um, uh, I, I'd like to talk about things that aren't typically talked about, um, that need to be talked about. And so hopefully, I, I hope that people walk away interested, at least. For, for our listeners who maybe haven't heard you do spoken word before, do you think you <laughs> could give us a, a brief demonstration <laughs> of, what, of what that's like? <laughs> sure. Okay. As a human being to intervene in this 
galaxy. Oh, it would be a fallacy to state the claim of us equating to a cosmic mistake because no two people are exactly the same. I have identical twin brothers who are practically the opposite of each other, but supposedly we're just nature's mother's mistake. Miss, take that myth away. I don't have that much faith. You can't even explain vision. And there's still a possibility that we could be staring at the same sight, not seeing the same thing. That's artistry. Proves to me that there's an artist behind the scene. Please. Tell me why my heartbeat doesn't ask me to sign a form of release in my chest or on my sleeve. It just beats life. Wow, that's, uh, that's really impactful. I can, especially last night, because I think, did you perform that exact one mm -hmm. last night? And I could see people in the audience just really, um, really captivated by what you were saying. Um, I'd like to ask you uh, another question. Um, almost everything that we do at Voices for the Voiceless revolves basically around one question that we want people to answer. How has abortion affected you? Mm -hmm. um, and I know you have a really profound answer to that question, and part of that was in that song or that uh, spoken word. So I'd like to ask it to you. How has abortion affected you? Um, growing up, I grew up in a culture, I guess. I grew up in Southern California. Um, where abortion is very accepted to the point where it's it's just not a conversation. It's almost a part of life, and so it's um, more of an assumption that it's right. that abortion is is cool and it's fine. Right, it's fine, and most people have done it, so why hmm. not? You know. Um, yeah. And I I didn't grow up with the knowledge that um, my parents had partaken in um, abortions previous to having me and previous to having. Um, two of my other brothers, um, when my parents were in high school, my mom was pregnant, um, at her senior year, during her senior year of high school, and, um, you know, she decided to go behind her parents' back and have an abortion, which almost, um, killed her, um, it was just bad, and she didn't even really know that it was, uh, that bleeding profusely for weeks wasn't normal, and so... Mm -hmm. um, she spiraled into a, just a really dark depression. Um, and so when she got out of high school, she had my oldest brother, Garrett, on purpose to basically fill that void. And, um, you know, uh, my, her, her parents, my grandparents, weren't too excited about, you know, having a baby out of wedlock. Um, for their youngest daughter, <laughs> and so um, they told her basically, uh, you know, don't ever come to us again and say that you're pregnant outside of marriage. Um, but at the time that they said that, she was already pregnant, and so she went and had another abortion. Wow. Um, and two after that. And so in total, um, my parents had aborted four children. And so for most of my life, I didn't know that. Um, but I, I, you know, it came up when I think I was about 13. And so, hmm. um, so ever since that, you know, was 
out in the open, it's been kind of, you know, it made me curious as to just how real it was, how real the fact that I, I have four siblings that are now not here, mm. um, that just became a reality and it, it really showed me just the devastation of it. Um, you know, like it, it, it wasn't life to me before it was my siblings. And, um, now it is. <laughs> now I see it as that. Hmm. What was, what was like the first thought that came to mind when you first heard that story? Um, I was really confused. I like, I didn't hear it all at once, but I heard that there was four, um, four, four abortions. And, you know, I thought about the fact that there's four of us, you know, I have three older brothers currently. Um, and it just, it, I couldn't help but think like, what would they have been like? Um, and like, how, how would my relationship be with them? Or, you know, I, my family would just be so different if that was, hmm. um, still a part of it. I think sometimes uh, pro-life people can kind of become overly involved with showing why everyone should be pro-life and just Mm -hmm. explaining their side of the story. But pro-choice people have a reason. They have a reason for being pro-choice and making that decision and having that opinion. So as a person who's been drastically affected by abortion personally, how do you think you would answer that question? Why are people pro-choice? I think that most people who are pro-choice don't have a full knowledge of what it means to be. Uh, I don't think that most people would just outright say, or, you know, I've never ran into anybody who would just outright say, oh, it's okay to end a life. Um, But it's just not seen as life. Hmm. And so I, you know, if you don't understand it as as life, then it's hard to um, care for it. Um, you know, there are many, like, difficult situations as far as rape or just difficult circumstances that would just not permit, you know, raising a child. Yeah. Um, which are legitimate. hmm But the life is also legitimate. And so I think, you know, that obviously there are other um, outlets to having a child, um, but I think, you know, to be in the pro-life movement largely is, is based off of a lack of understanding of, of what life is. So it's like, it's like if uh, a kid goes up to their mom with a cockroach and says, hey, mom, can I kill this? Mm-hmm. You would, the, the mom would obviously say yes, because it's a cockroach. Get it away, right? Mm-hmm. But so the fundamental question isn't, is it okay to end a life? Because even a pro-choice person in almost every situation would say that's not okay. It's mm-hmm. just what is it that you're trying to kill? Is that is that what you're saying? Yes. For pro-life people to be effective, ultimately, what reputation do you think they need to have? I think um, the pro-life movement needs to first and foremost be loving community. Hmm. Um, I, I don't think anything but love could bridge the gap between pro-life and pro-choice. Do you think the pro-life movement does that well right now? Or do you no. think that's... Okay. Hmm. <laughs> not not very well. I don't think we have a pretty face to most people um, on the outside. And, um, and from what tactics have been used, it's a bit hard to defend the movement. I think 
the important thing is to just be different and, um, you know, try to uh, just change the face of the movement mm. um, with compassion. I would say that we, especially at Voices for the Voiceless, we're trying to create art and music that people, and this includes everyone, not not just pro-life people, but anyone, art and music that people think is, is beautiful and worthy of their attention. So as a person who's kind of in the business of creating those that type of art and that type of spoken word, uh, in your case, what are the characteristics of those things that you think accomplish that, that people will really embrace and think that it is, it is truly beautiful? I think with using art, it's the most effective to be personal because abortion is a topic, but it's only a topic by personal situations and just real life circumstances. And so I feel like that's kind of the only way to be compelling in a sense not that everybody has to have had an abortion but I feel like it's affected almost everybody and so to make art effective in this it's like it has to be um personal because that's kind of all it is Grace thanks for spending some time with us today we really appreciate it (laughs) thanks for having me so now we have an answer to the question that I posed at the beginning of the program, what does it take for a piece of culture that we create at Voices for the Voiceless, what does it take for that piece of culture to be truly impactful? And like Grace said, it needs to be real, but even more importantly, it needs to be relatable. The things that we create at Voices for the Voiceless have to be things that people can truly see themselves in, can truly find connections to if abortion stays a topic that people really don't want to talk about abortion is never going to end it needs to be something that people see and acknowledge and through the beauty of the culture that we created voices for the voiceless abortion can end